We have a crazy study tonight in the book of Isaiah, chapter 18. I want to share things. Uh, pray for me that I will just share what the Lord wants me to share. But, um, you know, we just got back from a pastor's conference, and uh, it was a blessing. And we got to hear, like, stories of what God has done in different churches and different pastors. And this amazing, when you tell the story, sometimes I kind of hold back because um, I don't want to sound, you know, uh, funny or bragging or anything like that. But one of the things that you'll find is that if you share a, a story about maybe how God provided, you know, uh, you know, whatever, $31,000 or something like that, it's not, the, it's not the person, it's not the individual, it's not the pastor. It's the Lord who does things like that. And so, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about stuff like that and just how God has really done a work and how we need to learn uh, really to trust him. I've shared this story before, uh, but it's one of my favorites. It was uh, a story that I read about a man who was walking along a mountainside and he fell on the side of the cliff. And as he's falling down the mountain, he ends up latching onto a branch and he's holding on and just dangling for his life. And so as he's holding on to the branch and dangling for his life, he, you know, does what anyone else would do. He, he says, help, help. He starts, you know, yelling for help. And so he hears a response. He, he hears a voice. And uh, someone, you know, says, hey, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Help, help. And the voice uh, says, um, let go of the branch. I'm God and I'll catch you. Let go of the branch. And the, the man's all, what? You're, you're, you're God and you're telling me to let go of the branch and, and you'll catch me? Yes, let go, let go. And, and so the, the man hang, dangling on the side of the mountain says, is there anyone else up there? <laughs> is there anyone else? Because sometimes what God calls us to do, unfortunately, we don't trust him the way that we should. And we're like, okay, you know what? Maybe I don't need God after all. Maybe there's someone else that can help me. And that's one of the things that I've learned in this church. You know, we started the church, um, you know, close to 20 years ago, believe it or not, you know, and we're not in Orange County. We're not in necessarily a town where perhaps there's a lot of finances and things like that. And so when we first started the church, I remember people saying, you know, you're, you're probably not going to make it there. And this things that really, you know, I don't know if they were trying to discourage me or not. Um, but man, you know, God has been faithful all these years. He has provided for us. And so we're going to see uh, one of the most important things in life is you learn to trust God. When the church first started, I remember uh, thinking like, you know, you're a small church and, and, you know, you got a few families or whatever and maybe a couple more. And then eventually one says, you know what, I have to go to another church. God's calling me out here or there and stuff like that. So someone might leave the church. And so in my heart as a pastor, I'm kind of thinking, because remember, I'm just beginning, and I have no experience in this. I'm thinking, well, if they leave the church, then how, you know, who's gonna, how's, how are we going to make it? We're losing someone who may be giving or something like that. And believe it or not, you start getting those dumb thoughts in your mind. And then as you grow as a pastor and as God shows himself faithful, he teaches you things. He says, you know what, they don't belong to you. If someone wants to go to another church, that's fine. I will always provide for you. That's got nothing to do with that. As a pastor, you just want people to be where God's called them to be. That's all that matters. As far as the provision, it's not an issue. It has nothing to do with a man. It has nothing to do with people. God, I am 100% 
thoroughly convinced that it is God. I remember the first time, you know, you get a $2,000 check. Next thing you know, $10,000 check. And I don't know who gives, but I trip out. Then someone walks up, and there's 11000 14000 Like I said, 31000 Who knows what's next? You know, all I know is that it's from the Lord. And so for us, learning to trust in God and not in the world and not in man, God will provide for you. You know, like even thinking about Trinidad and Isabel and, you know, the day came where the Lord called them. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But for her to say, you know what, I'm not going to work. That's a huge step of faith. It really is. But that was where God was leading them. And I'm sure they'll be the first to tell you that they have not skipped a meal, I'll bet. They probably had some pretty good food, you know. Do you trust God? Do you trust him in everything? Do you trust him to protect you? Do you, do you trust him to direct you? Do you trust him to guide you? I, I was telling my wife over here, and I pray that our church would know this, the invincible principle, the invincible principle. We won't die unless God says it's time. Now, there's probably one exception, and that is suicide. But other than that, you don't have to be afraid to die. Because you are invincible until God says, okay, you're done. And so we can live life. I think even with this virus and some people, uh, they're, they're so afraid of dying that they're, they no longer are living. And so for us, Lord, we trust you. We're not going to be foolish. But God, this is what you've called us to do. And so this is really one of the most important parts of what we're going to see today. One person said, all I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. You know, God's been faithful to me, you know, all my life. Why is it sometimes we get afraid of the future? You know, you look at your past and he's always been there and he's had his way. You don't want to have your way. You want to have God's way. And so it's all in his timing. And according to his will, and you can trust him because he knows what's best. And so be careful that you don't buy the lie of ungodly alliances. You know, the Bible says, and we're talking about, you know, sometimes you send your kids to public school. And again, it's a decision that every person has to make, you know. But um, if, you are, if you are in that position where you can't, uh, you know, homeschool your children, then I would encourage you to know exactly what they're being taught. And if there's anything that gets, you know, introduced into the curriculum that you know is, is wrong, then you be the first one there to fight it and to go to those PTA meetings. You know, for us, this is the life that we have to live. We have to make sure that we are not conformed to this world, but be, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the Bible. Number one, number one um, responsibility of a parent is to teach the Bible to their children, to live it to their children. You give that to their children because Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And then when he's old, he won't depart from it. So for us, um, don't go the way of the world. Don't get involved in the God, ungodly alliances. For us, we have to make sure that we 100% trust God. The Bible says, I think it's Psalm 60, verse 11, it says, the help of man is useless. It's useless. That's why the Lord eventually, I think, he brings you to the place, not just you've arrived, you're perfect, but you know what? God's got this. I trust God. 
I don't trust a single man as far as the one who's going to protect and provide and think God will use people. That's fine. But ultimately, we trust him. Look what we read here in Isaiah 18. He says in verse 1, Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. What we find here is uh, the Bible land, it would be the, the land of Cush, modern-day southern Egypt, Sudan, and, and northern Ethiopia. And God is here pronouncing through Isaiah a woe to them. Now, the, the buzzing wings, it may be in reference to the locusts and the insects. It may also just be in reference to the way they move swiftly as an insect flies through the air. You know, one translation, even the New Living Translation, calls them fluttering sails, and it might even be these boats that are traveling, you know, through the Nile River. But but basically, he's talking a woe to this to this land, and uh, what we find is God is going to speak to the the nation of Israel. He's going to deal with uh, Ethiopia or Cush. He's going to deal with uh, these nations of Egypt. We're going to see in the next chapter. He says in verse one, "Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings, which is." beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, which sends ambassadors by sea, even in vessels of reed on the water, saying, um, go, swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth of skin, to a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide. This would be, if you were to look at a map and you see uh, this area, the, the branches of the Nile River. All inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, when he lifts up a banner on the mountain, you see it, and when he blows a trumpet, you hear it. Basically, what we see here is Cush or Ethiopia, they're sending ambassadors to Israel. They're sending them, they're on their way to form an alliance with Israel so that they can get together um, Ethiopia, Egypt, and Israel, and in this case, we're going to see Judah. So that when the Assyrians come, they'll be ready for them. And so God says no. Cush had sent ambassadors and God says no. God was now sending a message to Cush. God was sending ambassadors to Cush. And and the message to this powerful nation is is that we don't need you. We don't need you. You know, when we when we look at this right here, it's a it's a warning to them, it's a warning to us not to do it, not to trust in man, to repent and only trust in God. You know, the the Psalms that I mentioned earlier, Psalm 60, verse 11, it says, give us help from trouble for the help of man is useless. And I like that verse right there because he's praying. He's praying. He's not just saying, oh, just to let you know I trust in God and not in man, but he's not praying because if you're not praying, then you're probably not going to get the help from God that you really need. And so, you know, it's repeated verbatim in Psalm 108, uh, verse 12. And basically what we find, uh, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I remember when I, when I, when I quit my job to go into the ministry in the, in the very beginning, first two, I remember when I asked my wife to marry me. It, it didn't really make a lot of sense, and I probably wouldn't counsel anyone to do this, but I was part-time. You know, and we'd been dating, and I, you know, I, I remember three years, we didn't know the Lord. 
Then we both got saved, and then we just, you know, were serving the Lord. We were, I wasn't even really thinking about marriage. I don't know why. I, I wish I could go back and kind of ask myself, what were you thinking, you know? But all I know is that the day came and God spoke to me in the Bible. God spoke to me through the Bible and said, it's time, you know, three years or whatever, ask her to marry you. And I did. I was part-time. And so when you're part-time in the market back then, they could cut your hours down like that. And so um, they were giving me more hours. But if you don't have that full-time status, man, you don't got the benefits and you don't got the guaranteed hours. But I just knew God was calling me to ask her to marry me. And I did. And the next week, I got full-time status. And God has provided for us. All, we, we, we're going to be married 30 years. Don't, don't you know that God will provide for you? And, and this, what we see right here is we don't have to go to the world. We trust in the Lord. Here they were trying to make an alliance with these nations, you know, Egypt and Ethiopia. And, and God says, no. God says, I'm going to take care of it. That's what he says in verse 4. For so the Lord said to me, I will take my rest and I will look from my dwelling place like clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. Or as a, um, one version, it says, for so the Lord said to me, I will take my rest. I'm sorry, the New Living Translation, it makes it sound so simple. So I encourage you to check it out in that version. But God is just saying, where I'm at, when I'm looking at this, it's going to be as clear as day what I'm going to do. He says in verse 5, For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he will both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. They will be left together for the mountain birds of prey and for the beasts of the earth. And the birds of the prey will summer on them and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. And what, what God is saying is, I will be the one to cut off Assyria. I will be the one to lop them off and, you know, the, the birds are going to come and eat their bodies. And we're going to see that later in Second Kings 18. It's uh, found in Second Chronicles 32. But for us, as we journey through Isaiah, it's going to be in chapters 36 and 37. And you guys, the Bible talks about this over and over and over again so that we can know this, that when we're surrounded by the enemy, that God will be our victory. We don't have to look to the world. We don't have to look to the ways of the flesh. Uh, what you see really, and one of the things the Lord definitely spoke to me about in this conference and I think it's, it's not like something new, but it's just something that if we really examine our life, and I think for me as a pastor, I got to help, you know, the, the church, we got to do this. We have to pray more. We have to pray more. When they wrote the threat to Hezekiah, surrounded by these 185,000 soldiers, imagine you guys, if you would, if your home or your city was surrounded by 185,000 soldiers, what would you do? Hezekiah took it, he spread it before the Lord, and he prayed. You know, he got Isaiah involved earlier, but this time he just went into the temple and he started praying. And you guys know what happened, right? We've read it, and it's something that needs to be repeated so that we won't be defeated. We have to make sure that we start praying more as a church. 
So Lord willing, we're going to start getting Thursday nights and we'll start probably meeting in the West Wing at 6 o'clock for those of you guys who want to pray before service. And then Sunday mornings, same thing. And uh, the Lord's been laying on my heart, you know, get together Sunday mornings. We should be praying more. And then, you know, one of the things the Lord's laying on my heart is probably do some other prayer meetings. Uh, maybe we can do one. It was kind of cool today when we uh, went to um, the pastor's conference. There was one where, you know, they just had all these guys coming up and just praying one-minute prayers. You guys submit those cards, right? You submit those prayer requests. The ones that we have on our app, boom, we just get people up and we're praying for them. Those of you guys who are watching online, you have prayer requests. You could submit them to us. Uh, And to me, I think that you can tell whether or not a person really believes in God or believes in themselves by looking at their prayer life. That's where you can find out. And so for us, you know, these guys, God says, listen, I'm going to take care of this. And you don't need to trust in Ethiopia. You don't need to trust in Egypt, which is a symbol of the world. Right here it says, for, for, for before the harvest. Isn't it interesting how he says that in verse 5? You know, before the harvest. And what, what that means is that it's in God's time, not your time. A lot of times, we, you know, we want to say, well, okay, Lord, I'll give you X amount of time. And if you don't show up, then I'm going to go and I'm going to have someone else or I'm going to do this. Abraham, unfortunately, couldn't wait on the Lord. Next thing you know, he has in this affair, this relationship with a maidservant trying to help God out. No, wait on the Lord. Wait on according to his timing and according to his will. You know, it was before the harvest. God says, we're going to defeat our enemies. And we read that story there about how God defeated 185,000 soldiers. Now, don't ever be afraid. You don't ever have to freak out. You don't ever have to worry about anything. Really, in all reality, worry is a sin. We should keep our eyes on the Lord and just know, okay, my life is in His hands. He loves me more than I can even begin to understand. And so His will be done in His time. And that's the life that we should live. You know, one of the guys is talking about how, you know, uh, there's actually a true, it's a true story. I'm going to have to get all the information for you, but I'm going to share at least this much with it. So a great a battle talked about how this, uh, this hill, they were, this, this, this battle, they were surrounded by all the soldiers on the north, on the south, on the east, and the west. And so you're a general, I think about that, and you're in the middle of all this. And what does the general say? He says, cool, now they won't get away. (laughs) And I like that. You know, the enemies, the demons, the demons that have been latching onto your life, the demons that are in your home, that are surrounding your home, in the name of Jesus Christ, we will defeat them. They have their claws in your kids. God says, no more. No more. I'm not going to trust in, you know, whatever it might be. You try to buy them and you try to get them right or whatever. You try to feed them. And I mean, I know that, you know, food is a good thing, but prayer. Prayer, fasting, seeking God. This is where we need to be. You know, when we see this, God defeats the Assyrian soldiers so much so that all their bodies are there and the birds of the air are feeding on their flesh. 
And what we find is that God wants to give us the victory. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. We don't just have life, we're supposed to have that more abundantly, the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10. And so uh, it's important for us, it really is. You know, we love our, our brothers, and we love our pastors, and we love our mentors, and all that kind of stuff, but one of the things that we have to understand is we don't trust in them. You know, that type of alliance is a lie. We are to rely on God, not man. You know, even me, you know, I, I go to the pastor's conference and I, and, I, and I love my pastor and I pray for him. But, you know, it's not like I run to him and say, okay, what do I do? You know, he's very busy. He has a lot going on. And so, uh, you know, he, he would be there if I called, if I needed. But, but one of the things that happened when I went to church, I didn't have like a really close relationship with the pastor, but he did disciple me by teaching me the Bible. He did disciple me by providing other opportunities for me to get involved and serve and do different things. I believe that he's fulfilling his calling to make disciples by teaching us the Bible and by doing his best to to lead the church. But my trust is not in him. My trust is in God. And that's where we have to be, you guys. We have to be so careful that we don't rely on men. You know, 2 Kings 19.14 is that passage I was telling you about. And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he just spread it before the Lord. And so it's cool when, when you see this happen, God would defeat the Assyrians. And so watch what happens to the Ethiopians. It says in verse 7, And in that time a present will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth of skin and from a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down whose land the rivers divide to the places of the name of the Lord of hosts to Mount Zion. And so so what happened, you guys? So Ethiopia was going to make an alliance with, with Judah and, uh, and God said, no, you're not. I'm going to get the victory. So God gave them the victory. And the people of Ethiopia, they got saved. And many of them brought gifts to Zion. Many of them, because of that, went to heaven. Now, I love it when you know it's the Lord who did it. You know, when, you, when it's a miracle, it can't be explained. That's what the world needs to see. They need to see things that are unexplainable. They need to see those miracles that God does. Then they end up, you know, getting saved. And there's a lot to this. I think when we look at our text, we're going to see that it was, uh, it was something that would happen then in that, in that day. But it was also something that's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. You know, one of the things we read in Second Chronicles thirty-two twenty-three, 23, uh, referring to what happened after God gave uh, Judah the victory, it says, And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations thereafter. And so Pastor Chuck is of the opinion that it happened then, that they saw this amazing work of God, 
and they came and they brought gifts. But we're going to see it extends on and on, even into the millennial kingdom, even into heaven. Why? How did it happen? It happened because they didn't do the typical thing of the day. That would be the typical thing. No, they did what we should do. What Judah should have done was just trust in the Lord. God, you've got this. You know, you've got my family. If you call me home one day, you know, and it could be tomorrow, you're going to take care of my family. You guys, there's nothing to worry about. You know, and if one day I get sick and next thing you know, I'm fighting this, that, and the other, I mean, we don't have to freak out because I believe in the God who can heal me. And if he doesn't, he's going to heal me on the other side of time. And I trust him. But be careful, you guys, that we don't get caught up in this world and start trusting in this world. And next thing you know, you're working 100,000 hours of overtime. And, you know, you've kind of like, you don't even serving the Lord anymore because you're so busy. Why? Because you have to make money to buy what? Be careful. You know, I think that there's a lot of people in the church that are caught up in the world. They're not serving Jesus the way they should. We got to believe in him. You know, what we find right here is King Esarhaddon of Assyria, he then eventually, now this is interesting, conquered Egypt in 671 B.C. God had predicted it through the prophet Isaiah. And so this is an interesting thing. We're giving, we're looking at a victory. Number one, first they got the victory, and then they got crushed in a defeat. And that's what we read next. And that's what can happen if you, if you trust God or if you don't trust God. And there's different ways of not trusting God. I'll tell you what, if, you wanna, if you're living a life of sin, then you're not trusting God. If you're not praying, you're not trusting God. If you're looking to the world to help you, you're not trusting God. And that's what, unfortunately, they did. Look at verse 1. We see this collapse of a nation, and I want you guys to look at this In this chapter, you will see the United States of America. You will see this. This is crazy. Look at verse 1. It says, The burden against Egypt, Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. So can you picture the Lord riding on a cloud? Anyone here? Can you picture that? You know what I put in my notes? I put, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Whoa, this is going to be heavy. God's on his way, and he's riding the cloud of glory. He's coming to Egypt. Watch what happens. It says in verse 1 again, the idols of Egypt will totter at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. I will set Egyptians against Egyptians. Everyone will fight against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. We see, first of all, the idols of the land, they're going to be dealt with. You know, the gods that they trusted in will be defeated. And, and in Egypt, obviously, crazy, they were known for all their gods. Uh, one person said in Isaiah's day, there was no other nation on earth that was so much in the grip of superstition and filthy idolatry as Egypt. They worship apes, cats, frogs, crocodiles, lizards. Everything was venerated by them. David Guzik said this, and if you can't listen, because this is a long quote. He says, at the time of the Exodus, when the Pharaoh of Egypt would not release the children of Israel from their captivity, 
the Lord also made the idols of Egypt to totter at his presence, and he directed each of the plagues against a particular idol of Egypt. And he knocked over the god of Knum, the guardian of the Nile, the god Happy, the spirit of the Nile, and the god Osiris, who had the Nile as his bloodstream. When the waters were turned to blood, he knocked over the goddess Hecht, the frog goddess of fertility, with the plague of frogs. And he knocked over the goddess Hathor, a cow-like mother goddess with the plague on livestock. And he knocked over the god of Imhotep, the god of medicine, with the plague of boils. And he knocked over the god Nut, the sky goddess, with the plague of hail. He knocked over the whole system of Egyptian worship of their gods with loathsome lice and swarms of insects. He knocked over the god Seth, thought to be the protector of crops, with the plague of locusts, and he knocked over the god Ra, thought to be the sun god, with the plague of darkness. He knocked over Osiris, the Egyptian god, thought to be the giver of life and the supposed deity of Pharaoh himself, with the plague against the firstborn. God made all the idols of Egypt to totter at his presence before, and Isaiah tells us he will do it again. And, you know, we may not identify them, but you want to know, we, we, we worship all these gods, you guys. You know, what, what is it, probably America, number one God? What is it, you guys? Money. What, what God is that? What God is it? The God of mammon. And I'm telling you, man, uh, we were watching the news and uh, prices are skyrocketing. The economy, the economy is falling. I mean, God's going to deal with us. You know, it's interesting when he says right here in verse 1, the idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in his midst. I will set Egyptians against Egyptians. And next thing you know, man, everybody's fighting. Everybody's, uh, isn't that our nation? We are in hardcore division right now. And it's, it seems like everybody is fighting. The divisions within the nation, the cities, the states, the races, the party lines. That's all part of God judge, God's judgment. It's interesting, one commentator said not many years after this time it was divided, Egypt was divided into 12 several kingdoms between whom there were many and cruel wars as is related by the historians of those times. You know, I think even of our, our nation, I, I mean, even state against state. You know, in and out might move to Florida, I'm telling you guys, man. Uh, you know, and it's, it's intense what's going on in our nation we are divided. And all that is part of God's judgment. It says in chapter 19, verse 3, the spirit of Egypt will fall in its midst. Now, that's an interesting phrase. What do you mean the spirit of Egypt? Well, some people believe that that's in reference to what we would call more along the lines of nationalism. Nationalism. So we're, we're Egyptians, and this is kind of who we are. And I'm not saying that you have to take your earthly nationality and elevate it above your heavenly citizenship. But for us, we celebrate Veterans Day today. We're Americans. You know, I like what Jose had on his T-shirt, you know, um, American-Mexican. I like that. That's, this is a country that God has called us to live in, and we want to protect it. You know, but what ended up happening there in Egypt is they started kind of losing that love for their nation. Next thing you know, I find myself in my house putting up a flag. One day uh, I was out there and I kind of fixed the thing and I put up the American flag and I was getting mad dogged. 
by people walking by. And I, I was like, whoa, I'm not really quick on, on discerning things, but I saw that. I said, you mean to tell me that you are against the American flag? There are people in this country, there are people in positions of leadership who are anti-American. But all that, what? It's part of the collapse of a nation. Here we see it happen in Egypt. God says, I will destroy their council and they will consult the idols and the charmers and the mediums and the sorcerers. And the Egyptians, I will give into the hand of a cruel master and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. You know, when you start getting into uh, the, the, the charmers and the mediums and the sorcerers, who's behind all that? It's the devil and it's demons. And what we find is that the darkness is rising. What we find is the spirit of Antichrist is rising. You guys, this is what's happening in our nation. You know, I mean, the perversity that we see our children are being taught. You know, the cruel master right here is probably a direct reference to King Esarhaddon of Assyria who conquered Egypt, as I mentioned earlier in 671 BC. But if you think about it, who's behind this king? It's an indirect reference to the devil. And, and what we find is, man, that's all part of God's judgment. I want to take you guys to a very important verse that I don't know if you've ever seen it this way before. But go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. This is very important, especially to people who say, well, it doesn't matter who our mayor is. It doesn't matter who our governor is. It doesn't matter who our president is. Sometimes you hear people say that. Now, I I think we we need to have a balanced view of that. We know that There won't be ultimate perfect peace until Jesus comes. And so we do look to that day. But until that day, you'd have to be foolish not to care who your mayor is, who your governor is, who your president is. That's really what this verse right here teaches. In Ezekiel chapter 22, notice what it says in verse 30. It says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Now, when you look at this, verse 30 is an interesting verse. God says, I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap. I was looking for somebody to kind of stand in the gap and kind of build a wall so that I wouldn't destroy the land. Now, if you read it just in a superficial sense, you think, well, God was looking for somebody to pray. No, Jeremiah was praying. Ezekiel was praying. That's not what that verse teaches. What that verse teaches is this. Uh, One person said it this way. The corruption in Judah was so complete that when God searched for a man who could stem the tide of national destruction, build up the wall and stand in the gap, none could be found. Here it is. 
No one in the position of authority in Israel had the moral qualities to lead the nation aright. Obviously, Jeremiah had these qualities, but he lacked the authority to lead the nation from the brink of disaster because he wasn't the king. He wasn't there in that position of authority. And, and what, we find is, it, what, you, what we find is that when God begins to judge a nation, there, that what, what we get stuck with is incompetent, cruel, immoral leaders. And, and that's why we have to, you guys, again, we're not trusting in, in government, but man, whatever you do, don't lay down and, and you, know, you know, just surrender your country to the ungodly people. We have to find out what's going on in legislation. We have to pray and get involved. And some of you guys got to start running for office and getting you know, the salt and the light and all that kind of stuff. It's important that God would raise up leaders like this. You know, here we see back in uh, Isaiah, you know, the, the, what would happen, they, they, God would give them, they, it would end up with a cruel master. Uh, a fierce king would rule over them. You know, and when I think of someone cruel, I think of someone willing to slaughter babies. That's, and some people think, well, no, it's a woman's choice. It's murder. And so for us, look what he says in, in, in verse 5, and, the, and the, just the calamities continue. Um, it says in verse 5, the waters will fall from the sea and the river will be wasted and, and dried up. The rivers will turn foul. The brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up. The reeds and rushes will wither. The papyrus reeds by the river, by the mouth of the river, and everything sown by the river will wither, be driven away, and be no more. Basically, what we're seeing here is there's no water because there's no rain. And we're going to see, uh, as part of the judgment of God, the natural disasters. We're going to see that. You know, affecting everything, in this case, affecting the vegetation. The Nile River in Egypt obviously was key to their economy, which leads us to the next verse. In verse 8, the fishermen also will mourn. All, all those will lament who cast hooks into the river, and they will languish who spread nets on the waters. Moreover, those who work in fine flax and those who weave fine fabric will be ashamed and his foundations will be broken. All who make wages will be troubled of soul. And so no rain, all this division, incompetent, cruel leaders. How does it affect the economy? And so the fishermen, there's no fish. Next thing you know, there's no uh, material for uh, clothing. And everyone is troubled. Um, it doesn't end, however, with the economy. And like you guys are seeing it, huh? Prices are going up. And so today, you know, they were telling us, I don't know, 30% uh, groceries are going up, gas is going up. And so they're saying it probably won't get better until next year. It, it may never get better. Because I don't know for sure. You know, as a pastor, you're always praying, Lord, you know, let there be a revival. Let there be a great awakening, Lord. Let your church rise up. Have mercy on us. And maybe like when Jonah went and preached in, you know, Assyria, Nineveh, they'll, they'll, they'll turn. You know, you always have that hope. 
But, but as a pastor, and as like your Ezekiel, your Jeremiah, you know, they were there and they were just saying, no, judgment is coming. And, and we're seeing the signs. We see it in our economy. It doesn't end with the economy, though. It continues with the bad counsel. Like I mentioned earlier in verse 11, surely the princes of Zoan are fools. Think about that. I mean, I don't know if, if Fauci would... Cons- I don't know all these things, you know, but who are we following? We're following our celebrities. We're following our athletes. We're following our actors. Our actors. They're influencing our children. Why? Because they're following them on Instagram. They're the counselors. I mean, how do you say to Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings? Where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them tell you now and let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools. The princes of Noph are deceived. They have also deluded Egypt, those who are the mainstay of its tribes. And today in the United States of America, they, they think, these leaders think they are so wise. They've graduated and they, whatever, one of the Ivy schools. And they are so foolish. Because, dude, you were there. We saw it in the previous chapter. You saw what God did to the Assyrians when they surrounded them. How if you turn to God, God will bless the land. But they refused. They, it lasted for a little bit. Yeah, they brought some gifts. But next thing you know, they're no longer serving God. They're no longer following God. To me, that's foolish. You know, we have a, a science, which, by the way, always changes. And even the, even the midst of the mess of the scientists, they themselves can't even come to terms. And then we look to our education and the narrative that's taking place in our universities today. And, you know, they got these smart guys that are looking to technology, but whatever they, they do, you just got to make sure you stay away from theology. Don't pray in the school. Don't read your Bible in school. You know, and don't preach the gospel. Don't try to proselytize. And what does Romans one twenty two says? Professing to be wise they became fools. Why? Because they don't want anything to do with God. If you were a smart man, whoever you are, Mr. Leader, you would have a relationship with God and you would be telling everybody, let's do this. Let's pray. What are you afraid of? You say you're a Catholic? You say you believe in Jesus? I mean, didn't he die for the sins of the world? Shouldn't that be what you're trying to share with the world? But it doesn't make any sense. Why? Because God is judging our land just like he judged Egypt. The media, the media, one of the pastors, he called the media uh, the Midianites. And, and I thought, that's, that's perfect, man. They're, the, what's going on in, in the media, they're just, they're brainwashing you. We have to be so careful. What should we do? In light of all things, we, we got to return to the Lord, but they didn't. And so God was forced to judge, and the walls of protection fell. Look at verse 14. The Lord has mingled a perverse spirit in her midst, and they have caused Egypt to err in all her work as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Neither will there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, palm branch or bulrush may do. 
And, and basically what we find right here is that God just, he just, you know, takes away his walls of protection. The enemy has a field day. There's no restraint any longer. And God basically gives us our own way. The perversity that's going on. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, when God made us, he made us male and female. I don't care what the world tells you. That's, that's the truth. We have to be careful that we don't buy into these lies. And next thing you know, they tell you you can't even address them with personal pronouns. I'm sorry, but I have a feeling that if that becomes illegal, I'm going to end up in jail. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my nephew. That's my niece. That's my tia. That's my tío. You're a man, you're a woman. We have to make sure we don't capitulate to these things. In that day, it says in verse 16, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the wavering of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. You know, I was talking, about, talking to my son about this and he's like, hey, dad, you got to be careful because, you know, uh, the ladies might take that wrong when you share that verse right there, you know. And I said, I think they know what the Bible is saying. Women are amazing. Women are strong. Women are courageous. But what he's basically saying right here is in that one sense, that the, the nation of Egypt will function in fear. Fear. And is that not where our nation is? They're living in fear. And they're not living. That's what the enemy has done to us. We should not be afraid. We should not be afraid to die. We should not be afraid to declare the name of Jesus with boldness and follow him with a reckless abandon. But here he says, <laughs> they're, they're like these fearful women. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt and everyone who makes the mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. But it doesn't end there. This is it's crazy. Look at verse 18, because God is gracious. This is in that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. Now, more than likely, the Septuagint says is the city of righteousness. And that's the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to who? To the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors and he will send them a savior and a mighty one and he will deliver them. What's he saying here? What's he talking about here? He's talking about that even though, you know, you see that the judgment of Egypt, there's a remnant. There's a remnant. And, and even in the last days, we're going to see that Egypt and Ethiopia and Israel, uh, they all get together and God does a great work. Verse 21 says, Then the Lord will be known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt. He will strike, but notice, and heal it. And they will return to the Lord, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. And, and all this went down. We see the judgment of the Egyptians by the Assyrians. 
Um, but then as you start going forward in, in history, you see eventually, I'll tell you what, God did a good work in Egypt. In the early days of Christianity, there was a strong, vibrant church in Egypt for more than 600 years. Uh, one of the guys uh, talked about an altar that they built in Egypt. And, and, and so for us, looking at the scriptures, one of the things, and we'll just close with this today, um, God can save anyone. You know, we look at our land today, and it is being judged, right? You guys see it? It is. We are being judged. But in the midst of that, there are people getting saved. And that's why, what do we need to do with this urgency within us? We have to do our best to have eyes to evangelize. And you may have a, a loved one, and you may have a, a son or a daughter or a neighbor or, or a friend, or a family member, and you look at you know how bad they are, and you're like, man, they'll never get saved. You know what? Perish the thought. Don't think that. Because if God can save the Egyptians, and we're going to see next time the Ethiopians, if God can save Saul of Tarsus, then God can save anyone. Amen? And that's got to be our heart, you guys. So let's go out with that understanding. You know, one of the things that we learn from history is we don't learn from history, huh? <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, wait a minute. How did um, Nineveh get spared? How did, you know, Judah get spared? How did America get blessed? Anybody know the answer? How did the United States of America get blessed? By following Jesus Christ. By following the Lord. I just, I don't understand. These guys are so smart. Why don't they know these things? We got to pray.